This study is about the attributes of God. And, um, you know, hopefully the, the purpose of this study is to help with broadening your perspective on who God is. It's a study about God and his characteristics, his nature, and the personhood of God. It'll be an overview of his attributes because we could go really deep into it and it would take us a long time to get through it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, really, the intent here is just to discuss the overall characteristics of God and his nature. And tonight is just going to be an introduction of the entire uh, study. So we'll be discussing the attributes of God for roughly over the next eight weeks. I believe that's uh, when the new, the, the spring Bible studies will start. So we'll go for about uh, eight weeks after tonight. And then um, after that, new Bible studies will start up for the spring. Then we'll pick up again in the uh, late spring and into the summer months to continue uh, with the attributes of God. So let's open up in a word of prayer before we go any further. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together, God. And we just ask that you would speak to us, God, as we go through even this, the introduction, God. We will get into your word as we go through it. And we just ask that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to understand more about you, God, and who you are and how it should apply to our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we should want to know who God truly is, right? And also to grow in our knowledge of him. As believers, it's, it's crucial for us to know who God is. And it's also important that we have a right view about who God is. Because what happens there is with, with our view of God, it determines the course of our life, depending on what view we have of him. Uh, if we have the right view of God, then we're going to set our lives on the right course. It's going to be on the right track. Of course, our steps will be ordered, um, will be ordered by the word of God. We're going to want to be obedient to him. The more we learn about him, it's going to be, we're going to lessen the view of ourselves. The more that we know about God, the more highly exalted he's going to be. We're going to be, we're going to be humbled knowing more about God. You know, now consequently, if we have the wrong view about God, then our lives are going to be off in, in terms of the way that it's ordered. We're going to be off track. So instead of resting in the strength of who God is, we'll waver. You know, we'll be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, as the book of James says, with every wind of doctrine that comes by, we're not going to be firmly planted and rooted in the word of God and knowing who he is. So um, that's going to cause for our peace to be disturbed with every occurrence of evil that that arises, every disruptive act of evil that comes up, our peace is going to be disturbed. So whether it is something that arises in our lives personally or if it's in 
the world at large. We're going to be focused on just this one problem that's going on in our lives or maybe even things that are taking place on a broader scale in the world. And we're going to worry and we're going to take our eyes off of God, the one who allows for every single thing to happen. He's in control of it all. So that's another reason why it's important that we have that right view of God and we rest on who he is. So my hope is that through this study, you will walk away with a better knowledge of the almighty God and that you would be encouraged by knowing that you're in his hands and that even further than that, that you would be sparked to go even deeper in your studies, your personal studies of God and knowing um, about him. And then as your knowledge is increased in God, I would pray that there would be a fire lit with on the inside of you now to take that knowledge that you have and go and tell the world about this God that you serve. Because, you know, it, it's great for us to acquire knowledge, you know, but we don't want to just acquire knowledge for knowledge's sake, just to puff ourselves up. We want to be filled and then we want to go out and tell the world about who God really is, because there are so many people who don't have a right view of him. There are people who don't believe that God actually exists. And if they do believe he exists, if they have not repented and believed in Christ, then their view is way off of who God is. But those of us who know who he is, who by his grace have um, been brought into the family of God. We're now children of God. It's now our responsibility to let the world know who this God is that we serve. Now, uh, the results of that are always up to God, but we have to be faithful in our duty of letting the world know who uh, who God is. Now, um, as we go through this study, uh, just want you to know that we're, we're not I'm not trying to uh, reinvent the wheel here. You know, I'm not trying to create anything new in terms of the, uh, the attributes of God or a study of the attributes of God. There are so many people who have um, done studies on the attributes of God. And it's, you know, from those people, some of those people that I will be drawing from. So, you know, you're going to hear some uh, some borrowed terms. So if it's something that you hear that's familiar and you're like, hey, I, I heard that before. That's great. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, one of the things whenever we're learning about God and learning about scripture and principles in the Bible, one way that we can learn more is to go to those trusted spiritual resources and those trusted authors and pastors and see what they have to say about any uh, specific subject, whether it be about the attributes which we're studying, uh, studying or even something about uh, salvation. You know, anything that you would want to um, study about in the Bible that you may not have a full understanding of, one good way to go about that is to listen to what 
faithful ministers of the word have said about that subject. And you learn more like that. Uh, but scripture is always going to be the best uh, interpreter of scripture. So that's that's the first place that you want to go to when you don't understand something in the word of God. You want to go to scripture and cross reference scripture and see what scripture is saying about that particular subject that you have, um, you know, that that you have in mind or that topic that you have in mind. But again, we should be thankful for the people who have. Uh, done those those studies and that have remained faithful to scripture and have made it a little more plain for us to uh, to understand the word of God. So there's there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, throughout, you'll hear some uh, borrowed terms and quotes from people like uh, Stephen Sharnock. He's one who did a. Uh, who has a works on the attributes of God. That's the primary resource that I'm going to be using, but also uh, Arthur Pink, Steve Lawson. He also did uh, a teaching series on the study. I mean, on the uh, attributes of God. So you will hear some borrowed terms from them. Um, I'm not always going to say Steve Lawson said this. Pink said this. Sharnock said this because it'll be a distraction, but know that, you know, um, some of the terms that I do use and even some of the format is from some of the things that I picked up from uh, from them. Um, so right off the bat, we're going to start off with a, uh, a quote from uh, A.W. Tozer, who says this. He says, whatever comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So think about that, you know, and what your view of God is and then how that permeates through your life, because what that view of God is that you have, it is going to affect some of those things that we talked about uh, just a, a couple of minutes ago. You know, it's going to determine whether your life is set on the right track if it's on course or if it's off track because you have that wrong view of of God. So think about that. And it's it's only right that we level set our knowledge whenever it comes to uh, God, our knowledge about him, making sure that we have the right view about him, especially us as believers. Again, we have to be the ones to go out to the world and let them know who uh, who God is. And what an awesome privilege it is for us to uh, to know who God is. And what a great way to learn more about him than, uh, you know, what, what other way than through studying his uh, his attributes. So all that being said, uh, before we get into it, any any questions or comments? No. OK. So what is an attribute? So by definition, an attribute is that which is attributed or that which is considered as belonging to or 
inherent in. It is a quality determining something to be after a certain manner. It is a quality characteristic disposition. It is a thing belonging to another. So you can look at that in terms of God, you know, so an attribute. It's something when we're talking about the attributes of God, it's um, something that is attributed to God, that which is considered as belonging to God or inherent in God. Now, in God, every one of his qualities is going to be wholly perfect. There is no flaw in the character or nature of God. So what are the attributes that we are going to uh, discuss during this study? We're going to look at a total of uh, 15. And some say there are more than 15. Others say there are less than this. But uh, what we're going to do for all intents and purposes of this study, we're going to be looking at a total of 15. Now, being as though this is going to, like I said, it's going to carry into the summer months after, you know, after the uh, spring studies are done. Uh, I may at the end add on some more just to carry us all the way through the summer. But we'll deal with that more, um, you know, when it comes to that time. So the things that we're going to look at in terms of attributes, number one is God's existence. So his existence in terms of him being real and personal. Now, um, with him being personal, this is kind of counter to the uh, the view, the deist view, which says that God is not personal. He's sitting up in heaven and he kind of wound everything up like a clock and let it go. And things are just happening. And he's just sitting back watching. He's not a personal God, but we know him to be personal. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at. His existence as being real and personal, along with his aseity. And that's uh, A-S-E-I-T-Y. And this is God's self-existence. Okay. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Yep. And this is God's self-existence. This means that God is contained and upheld by himself. He doesn't need anyone else. He needs no one else. And, you know, we look at that. We do. We're dependent on God for life, for health, for strength, everything that we need. We are dependent on God. Everyone is, uh, whether they acknowledge that or not. But that's what we will be talking about in terms of God's existence and Included in that, we'll take a look at atheism as well. Just a brief look at atheism and see what uh, different aspects of atheism say about um, about God. So that's God's existence. Number two is God's spirituality. We'll take a look at that. And um, what we will be looking at there is. The fact that God is spirit. 
So I, whenever we do uh, family worship here, we go through catechisms with the kids. And question number nine in the cat, uh, for the catechism is this. It's who is God? That's the question. The answer is God is a spirit who does not have a body like men. So, you know, that's that's what we're, what we're talking about in terms of God's spirituality. John four twenty four. Let's turn there. So John 4.24, this is when uh, Jesus was talking to the the Samaritan woman at the well. It, It says simply this. It says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, you know, we're really not going to go deep into this now. We'll talk about it whenever we get to uh, to this in a couple of weeks. But this is going to uh, show us how one, how we are supposed to worship God. He's spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth. So we'll talk about that whenever we um, talk about God's spirituality. Um, any questions or comments so far? Okay. The next thing we'll talk about is God's eternality. So the fact that he has always been and always will be. Take a look at Genesis 1-1 and we see we can learn about the eternality of God right there, right off the bat, as soon as scripture opens up. Genesis 1-1, first four words, in the beginning, God. So God has, he was always there before this earth was created, before we were created, before nature, before everything. God was already there Uh, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. So this speaks to the eternality of God. Um, And one of the things that also just going through things with the kids just to make it simple. You know, it says God does not have a birthday, nor will God ever have a funeral. So he has always been. He's always been and he always will be forevermore. Um, God's immutability. That means that God does not change. He does not change. James chapter one, verse 17. Turn there and read what that says. Yeah, James 117. Yeah. All right. So James chapter one, verse 17, verse 17, it says every good thing and every perfect gift is from above 
coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation or shifting shadow. God does not change. And, and that should be something that is comforting to us. You know, that, that God doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We should take comfort in knowing that God does not change. And, you know, um, sometimes our sinful attitudes, we would want God to change. We try to change what he says to fit our wants or our needs. But his word is his word. It doesn't change. It's been set forever. It's not going to change on account of us. And that should be something that brings us comfort, even through the hard times to know that even if it's something that we would want to change, you know, to know that God is going to stay the same and he's going to love and he's going to care for us the same way that he does for any of his sheep. It should bring comfort to us. Uh, so that's number four. Um, number five is God's omnipresence. So this means God is everywhere. Again, a simple catechism question. Where is God? God is everywhere. Psalm one, uh, 139 verse seven. It says this. It says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Psalm 139 seven. So again, that's something that should bring us comfort as well to know that God is present everywhere. There is no place that we can go to that we can get away from him or that we will be away from him. So it should be comforting whenever we go into those hard places that God calls us to go to and the things that, the, you know, that he calls us to do that may seem hard to us. We know that his presence is always there. He's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, always there. On the other hand, his omnipresence, when we want to get away from him, if we are entangled in sin, we cannot get away from him. He's going to be there. So we ought to uh, you know, take that into consideration, confess our sins to him. You know, uh, do what we have to do to restore that that relationship. Now, if we're truly his children, he is we're always going to be his children. But that relationship will be interrupted if you are living in uh, unrepentant sin, habitual unrepentant sin. It's going to affect your relationship with God. His presence is always there. You're not hiding from him. Sin makes us think that we can hide from him like we can just turn the switch and he's not there whenever we um you know go forward with our acts of sin but he's there he's there and we should always remember that um god's knowledge he has infinite knowledge he he knows all things um and we may even with this talk about god's foreknowledge as well 
So he knows all things and he has never learned anything. So God has never had to look down, uh, you, you know, through time and space and learn anything about anyone. Uh, he knows all things about us. He knows all things about this world that he created. So, um, you know, that's something that we will talk about as well. Turn to uh, Psalm 147, verse 5. And in terms of God's knowledge, here's what it says. It says, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. So there is not one thing that God does not know. He does not learn anything. He's um, his knowledge is infinite. Um, number seven. So any any questions or comments? OK, number seven. So God's wisdom. Only God is wise. So, you know, we look at people and you know, we could say that one person acts more wisely than another. Um, but still, even still at that highest level, the person that seems that they are the most wise, their wisdom is flawed by sin. So it's only God who is is wise. Um, Romans chapter 16, verse 27, it says, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. And there's um, one translation that reads, it says to God, I say only wise be praised through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So, again, just attesting to the fact that the one who is Perfectly wise is God. We are not. God grants us wisdom. But again, our wisdom is flawed because of uh, sin. Another thing that we'll look at is God's power or his omnipotence. He is all powerful. He can do anything, anything at all except sin. He cannot sin, um, but he can do anything according to his word, according to his will, according to his character and nature. He cannot sin. Um, Psalm 62, 11, it says power belongs to God. He is the one who is all powerful, almighty power belongs to him. God's holiness. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. So Exodus chapter uh, 15, verse 11. The holiness of God. This is this is uh, his glory. The holiness of God is his glory. And Exodus 15, 11 speaks to that. 
you read verse 11, it says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who is like God? There is no one who is like our God. He is he's holy. He is set apart from from us. He is holy, 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 as Isaiah says. Um, so this this speaks to his his glory, his majesty. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, number 10, God's goodness. Again, uh, just like with with wisdom, you know, God is good. Only God is good. Not one of us is naturally good, no matter what what it is that we do. The, the, the person that, you know, who does all of the best things, they go to church, they give to charities, they help out, volunteer, do all of those things. That person is not a naturally good person. None of us are. None of us are. We are born into sin. We have that stain of original sin from Adam. None of us is um, is naturally good. Only God is good. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler in, in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 18. <clears throat> Sometimes I can turn in the Bible and get right to it. Other times, (laughs) page by page. Mark Mark chapter 10, verse 18. When speaking to the the rich young ruler. uh, Actually, let's look at verse 17 first. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life and verse 18 says this it says and jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good except god alone so god's goodness that is another attribute of his that we will um that we will dig into uh number 11 god's dominion and uh, his, his sovereignty. So listen, God is king and his kingdom extends everywhere. He, he is sovereign. He has sovereign rule over everything, whether people submit to him or not. God is king and there is no getting around that. He created Everything he created you, he created me, he ruled over our lives. Now, yes, can we live in defiance to him? Yes, but you're going to pay for it, you know. And those who are uh, who who um, defy him all the way to their point of death are going to suffer the wrath of God in eternity. But just like we heard on on Sunday about Christ being king you know he is king of kings lord of lords every knee will bow every tongue will confess jesus is lord so um you know we're going to talk about 
the uh, the dominion and sovereignty of God. Also, God's patience, God's patience. And aren't we thankful that God is patient with us? Um, so many times we we turn away from him and we sin and we do things that we want to do instead of what God's word tells for us to do. We live in rebellion to him. And that's what we're doing. Every time that we sin, it's a rebellion against God. It doesn't matter how uh, the, the magnitude of the sin. If we sin and go against what God says to do, that's rebellion to him. That's saying that we know better than God in that moment. God says, don't. We say, I'm going to anyway. We say, we know better than you, God. So sin, it, it is. We're, we're rebelling against God, but he is patient. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, uh, verse 6. Actually, verses 5 and 6. Related to the patience of God. Starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him. As he called upon the name of the Lord. This is Moses um, who called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. So we see there that God is patient. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now, some of these things, the, the loving kindness and truth, some people take those and explain those out as attributes of God, as opposed to just love. It's love and loving kindness as attributes. So that's where, what I was saying in the beginning. Like some people say there's you know, more or less than what we're going to be studying here. But um, we see that God is is patient. And, you know, this kind of raises the point, too, because a lot of people like to say when they speak of God in comparison to Christ, they say God, Father, Old Testament God is full of wrath and full of anger. And all he ever wanted to do was kill people. But Jesus, he's love, love, love. You can do whatever you want. Jesus is going to accept you. You know, that's where we get the he gets us commercials that are out there now, right? Mm -hmm. Live any kind of way that you want to, you know. Uh, And it seems like every week they're coming out with something new. And, you know, they're, they're definitely divorced from the God of the Bible, the Christ of the Bible. But God's characteristics, his attributes, his nature has been the same in the Old Testament as it was in the New. And what people forget is the fact that Jesus Christ is God. He is part of the triune God. Whenever God said, thou shalt not, Jesus was right there, (laughs) you know, the Holy Spirit right there can't be separated. So, you know, there is no this Old Testament uh, um, 
angry God, New Testament, happy, inclusive God of everything. No, he's the same. Again, the same yesterday, today, forevermore. Um, so there is no divorcing the two, the God of the uh, Old Testament, God of the New Testament. Um, we'll see that that, you know, his attributes carry it's it's on a whole as we're, we'll talk about um, in just a few um, God's faithfulness so second Timothy chapter 2 uh, verse 13 and speaking of God's faithfulness uh, this is something A.W. Pink uh, he describes God's faithfulness as one of the glorious perfections of his being so Second Timothy chapter two verse thirteen. Jamie, okay. Uh, that was flex. Oh, just call me. Yeah. You'll probably call dad. <laughs> 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 maybe dad didn't answer. Yeah, that's probably. Number one, Frankie's next. Oh. All right, Second Timothy chapter uh, chapter two verse thirteen. And speaking of God's faithfulness it says if we are faith uh, faithless he remains faithful why for he cannot deny himself so again aw pink says this is one of the glorious perfections of god's being it makes him who he is again he does not change he's faithful even when we are faithless god is not going to uh going to change he can't deny he can't deny himself uh number 14 is god's love god's love and uh first john chapter 4 verse 8 it tells us about god's love first john chapter 4 verse 8 It says the one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. Uh, and, and right before that, we're commanded. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. That's love. Uh, so God is love. And again, perfect love. None of us loves perfectly. We can't. It's stained again by sin. But God is love. He is the very definition of of it you know you can look in a dictionary for love if it had as its explanation god it would be great <laughs> but you know even the, the I, I would say that any definition in the dictionary is going to fall short of what true love is of what the bible tells us that true love is and god is love and then uh number 15 god's wrath god's wrath and this is 
you know, um, a lot of times when people, again, when they talk about God, they want to go directly to his wrath. He's, why, why would I want to serve this God who's going to send people to hell to burn forever? That's not a loving God. He doesn't love, right? Those are, those are the things that they want to go to, but forgetting about God's patience and also his love in sending his son and his son willingly coming to die on the cross for sinners, for those who would believe in him. So, you know, we'll talk about God's wrath, but listen, it's real and God's anger, it, it burns towards sinners. And one day his justice is going to be exercised through his wrath. You know, he would not be God if he did not punish sin. He has to. No matter what anyone's view about it is, that's who God is. If you know you want to talk about true justice, that's what justice is. God must punish sin. So from the greatest, you know, from the greatest to the least, it, it has to be punished in order for God to be just. And with God's wrath, it's not only that, you know, that final day when it's going to be poured out. Someone who lives in rebellion to God and does not know Christ is storing up wrath upon wrath. So that wrath already abides on them. It already abides. And one day the dam is going to break loose. If you look at it as a river that's being held back by a dam and there's a crack in it. And eventually that crack doesn't get fixed. One day that that water is going to rush through, flood everything that is below it and underneath it. And it's gone. That's how God's wrath is. So, again, that takes us back to knowing who God is, having that knowledge of God. Again, not having the knowledge just for the sake of knowledge, for puffing ourselves up, but to let the world know who God is. That's what we want to do. That's what we're commanded to uh, do. So that's, you know, that that is at least as we sit here tonight, the last one that we'll talk about. Again, we'll see what happens once we get to uh, the summer months, whether, you know, we talk about more like the loving kindness. We may add that in, talk about justice, you know, add that in as well. But looking forward right now, it's just those 15 that we're going to go through, um, you know, for the next eight weeks. I won't say by. You know, by the time we get to week eight, we'll be on number eight, God's power and omnipotence. But that's that's the plan uh, for for now. Uh, any questions or comments? No. All right. So one thing to keep in mind as we go through this study is the relationship of the attributes. And we want to look at that in two respects. Number one. The triune God is equal in attributes. So what does that mean? 
That means that all attributes apply equally to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not one person within the Godhead lacks any part of these attributes. God the Father is fully God. God the Son, fully God. God the Holy Spirit, fully God. They are all in agreement when it comes to the attributes. No disagreement between them, uh, between the Godhead, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no separation. Now, God, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Is there mystery there? Yes, there is, but God is one. Uh, so there is no um, no disagreement there. Um, today, uh, and this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon, the, uh, the morning and evening, and this is just a portion of it, you know, for the morning reading, speaking of the attributes, um, it says our blessed Jesus as God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Will it not console you to know that all these great and glorious attributes are altogether yours? Has he power? That power is yours to support and strengthen you, to overcome your enemies and to preserve you even to the end. Has he love? Well, there is not a drop of love in his heart, which is not yours. You may dive into the immense ocean of his love and you may say all of it. It is mine. Hath he justice? It may seem a stern attribute, but even that is yours. For he will by his justice see to it that all which is promised to you in the covenant of grace shall be most certainly secured to you. And all that he has as perfect man is yours. And that means Jesus as perfect man. All that he has is yours. And to that I say, amen. <laughs> amen. But that just shows right there. Now that's, you know, we're talking about God the Son. But again, that, that omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, we see right there. There's agreement. It's his as well as God, the father, God, the Holy Spirit. There is no divorcing uh, be between the Godhead. So number two, another thing that we want to keep in mind is that these are to be taken on a whole and not separated into segments. You know, that that makes it complex. You know, when you talk about the. Uh, the attributes of God, again, you hear it a lot. God is love. God is love, you know, but no one wants to talk about God's wrath. It's only love, love, love. But God's love is a perfect love that incorporates a perfect wrath. A better way to say it, God's love is a holy love. That incorporates a holy wrath that incorporates holy faithfulness, holy patience. It's all perfect and it all goes together. When you look at us, you know, we are 
complex beings, right? Heads, shoulders, knees, toes, right? You look at God, again, he is spirit. God is spirit, you know, and there is not one part of him that you can separate. Now, in order to explain him, there is personification. You, you know, we talk about the hand of the Lord, the, you know, the arms of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord. You know, there's uh, personification to kind of help us understand a little more about God and who he is. But we have to remember that he is spirit. He's he's one. You know, there there is no uh, no no separation there. And what this could be described as, again, another um, another attribute that some, um, you know, that some explain about God is the simplicity of God. So now that that doesn't mean that God is this simple being to understand, but it's simple in the fact that he is not complex like us. He's one. You know, we're made up of many different parts. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? God is one. He's one. And you think about him as one. So maybe that's one that we'll add on at the end, the simplicity of God and talking about him and his true uh, his true essence, even though we describe him in uh, in human terms sometimes. Um, so those are two things that you want to. Keep in mind the the triune God is equal in the attributes. They all apply. Father, son, Holy Spirit. No disagreement there. Um, and they are the attributes themselves are to be taken on a whole. You can't divorce love uh, from wrath, uh, patience from faithfulness. It all goes together. All works hand in hand perfectly all at the same time. Now, why is this important? And this is where we'll close. So, again, we go back to our view of God. What is the view? What is your view of God? Remember what what uh, Tozer said, you know, what you think about God, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because it's going to determine everything that you do, everything in your course of life. It's going to determine how your life, how you set out about your life. So we want to have a high view of God. We have a high view of God. There's going to be a high worship of God. The greater our knowledge of him, the greater our worship of him. So like us, you know, every Sunday, we're not going into this uh, decked out church building. We're going into a fire hall. We were in a hotel. We meet at houses, you know, at people, each other's houses. But. Our knowledge of God, if we have that high view of God, it doesn't matter where we are. No matter where we are, we are going to worship 
God with our whole heart. That's why it's, it's important that we understand who he is. We have that, that high view of him. So no matter where we are, we're worshiping God. And it doesn't just have to be in one specific place. You know, we say it all the time, you know, that Sunday morning, we we gather to corporately worship God, you know, and that is what we are commanded to do. But throughout the week, as we are going throughout the week, we should be worshiping God with our lives. We're all going to face different things throughout the week, have different experiences throughout the week. But that Sunday morning is just the culmination of all things. And we come together and say, no matter what has happened during the week, we are going we are going to on one accord lift up worship to our God. And the higher our view is of God, the higher the worship is going to be. We are going to worship him in spirit and in truth and not based on how we feel because we may not even feel the greatest on that Sunday morning. Our attitude may need to be checked, you know, but when we start to think about God and who he is and his holiness, whatever it is that is setting us off, you know, that has to go because we're now we're worshiping a holy God. So we want to know more, uh, more about him. Steve Lawson said, he said, uh, theology drives doxology. So the more we know, the higher our view is of God, the higher our worship is going to be. Uh, number two, why this is important. Spiritual maturity. See, if you are um, wanting to grow in Christ and in 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 your walk with him, with God, uh, and you have a low view of who God is, you're going to have low growth. You know, if you don't truly know who God is, your view of him is going to be low. Your growth is going to be stunning because you don't have a high view of who God is. High view of God. What does that mean? High growth. You're going to grow the more and more that you learn about God and how else to do that other than being in his word. We have to dig and dig and dig in his word. It can never be exhausted. You know, I don't care if you've read through the Bible five times already. You go through on number six. There is something else that you are going to learn about God. You know, his word is living and active. That is that is the truth of his word. And we have to dig. We have to dig personally in the word, uh, our personal worship time. And we have to be fed as well. Make sure that we are being fed. So the things that we listen to throughout the week. Make sure this goes back to those resources that we were talking about earlier. Make sure that it is um, uh, centered, that teaching is centered on the word of God. It's it's Christ centered teaching, not man centered, not something that is just going to 
tickle your ears and tell you what you, you know, what you want to hear. Listen to the things that challenge you, that that spur you on to holiness, that call you into that deeper relationship with God and to know Christ more. And uh, number three, our personal salvation. That's that's another reason why this is important. So for personal salvation, you must you must know something about God in order to be saved. His holiness. Right. You have to know that God is holy and that when you sin, you have sinned a, against a holy God and the what you deserve for that sin. Again, irrespective of how minor or how great that sin is, our thoughts disqualify us, right? So we have to know something about God to know that we have sinned against the holy God and we are in need of a savior, right? And that's where God's love comes in for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who whosoever believes in him should not perish shall not perish but have everlasting life so that's God's his holiness his love you reject that then you see then now it's his wrath so that's something that has to be known about God you reject his love you reject his the, the, the uh, holiness that says that you must repent of your sin and believe in Christ, then you will. You will know what his wrath is. Uh, so those are the, um, you know, those are the reasons why I believe that it is important that we know more about God and his his attributes. High view of God, our spiritual maturity, personal salvation. You know, uh, so that's it. That's all for tonight. Just for uh, for the intro. Any questions before we uh, before we close out? Any comments? No. All right. Father, we thank you for your word and we, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to know you, Father. And we pray that God, even as we get up from this table that our minds would be set and focused on knowing more about you. May our time with you, God, be fruitful whenever we have that personal time of worship. God, no matter how long we have, but Lord, may it be a fruitful time with you. May we continue to pray and seek to know you more. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.